society where we just just uh, you know uh, consuming all we want to do is consume more and more and uh, this is oftentimes the, the the way that we regard human beings modern capitalism looking at China you know a billion consumers no longer a billion human beings uh, that that ha- that need to be directed, encouraged towards goodness. But uh, a billion human beings who you want to uh, deceive into consuming a lot of things uh, to keep to make the economy develop and so forth. So the time we live in it tends to be a cynical one. Uh, it's quite negative uh, at this time. The end of the millennium, end of a century. A lot of uh, kind of uh, gloom, doom, predictions, a sense of impending danger, doom, uh, environmental problems, pollution, uh, and the, and the uh, uh, overpopulation. And this, this is what is, is given so much attention in, uh, through the mass media. But in our own lives, it's uh, say in developing a spiritual path. We need what we that, that doesn't help to just increase 
the tendency to be negative, to look upon, always to, to obsess your mind, to dwell upon what's wrong or what what is uh, bad or what is weak and corrupt. Uh, because when, when we fill our minds with that kind of information, then we we just feel more increasing despair and depression as a result. Because the human mind is w- whatever you put into it. That's what you're... That's going to affect your conscious experience. So if you, if you put in a lot of rubbish, foolishness, depressing uh, news, negative, uh, become obsessed with negative emotional ha- habits, and so forth, then the result will you feel uh, suicidal, depressed, or just a sense of despair and hopelessness. And religion, its purpose is always to encourage this, the wholesomeness, the goodness, the beauty uh, of our human condition. And it's encouraged, like morality itself is an encouragement to take responsibility for our lives in, in regards to action and speech. Because we can. We're not just helpless victims of conditioning that we just have to, you know, follow our unwholesome or inadequate impulses. We, we can choose in regards to action and speech, whether we do something or not, whether we, we do something good or, or not do something good, or do something bad, or not do something bad. And the human mind is a, is a reflective mind, so we can, when we, when we begin to awaken to our humanity, then we we can uh, fully appreciate and and uh, and uh, respect humanity in general, including our, ourselves and 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 all human beings, rather than just seeing humanity as potential consumers to sell useless things. <laughs> it's more more wholesome to look upon the, the goodness that is innate, that is a part of our humanity. Then you can point to uh, selfish, how selfish and vain human beings are, and we can be. We can be very selfish, vain, and stupid, and, and we can uh, go, and we can, we can commit uh, atrocious acts and, and all that, not to deny that that's one of our possibilities for action and for behavior. Um, and that is certainly given enough attention in modern life, and and that's what tends to be like like a, uh, the uh, entertainment is all you know, usually these these uh, action films. You go on these international flights, you see these these in-flight films with all the kind of always a lot of bloodshed and, and shooting and violence. Because this, this stirs, this excites the mind. But to recognize the goodness, sometimes we need to deliberately make an effort to do so. Because goodness isn't, isn't really exciting. Good things, good people, uh, oftentimes we, we, we have the cynical tendency of the time is to dismiss that or to or even look down on it as being naive or, or simple-minded. 
But goodness is uh, something that needs to be cultivated for most of us. Because we have, maybe we have strong pulls towards, let's say, the, the more kind of primordial desires and, and energies and activities and the, and the kind of seemingly alluring attract, attractiveness of, say, worldly sophisticated attitudes, fashions, and and, and modern uh, trends. So in, some, in this way, you can see a, a monastery like Amravati is, a, is an attempt to establish, to put back into people's conscious experience, the, to recognize their, their true goodness and the, and the goodness of humanity. And when you contemplate like this, and you're looking at whether human beings are do evil acts or or they uh, live foolish lives, is not the point. Uh, it doesn't. I don't see any very good result from just endlessly trying to punish, persecute, and blame uh, people for uh, doing bad things. Just you know, endlessly trying to to uh, make them pay for their stupidity, to get even, to seek revenge, to, to want to punish them, humiliate them. Uh, I can certainly understand those emotions. It's not that I, I, know I don't have those kind of emotions. But, but I don't see where those, those acting on those kind of emotions have, have helped any situation improve. I can only see that, that through our desire to get even, to punish, to, to uh, humiliate and uh, uh, others who are doing wrong things, is that, that we, we in our own lives are kind of perpetuating the whole pattern, the whole pattern that, that promotes evil acts. So the, the uh, awakening of the human mind, like the Buddha is, is a teacher that, that says, wake up. Buddha's teaching, when you, when you look at the, the, the Four Noble Truths and the, and the teaching the Buddha actually gave, it's all about wake up. It's not about believing or grasping anything whatsoever. It's not about uh, uh, becoming anything. It's the very, uh, the Buddha pointed to the simple uh, human ability to wake up and pay attention in the present moment. The word Buddha itself means awakened. I mean, it's the, the, the uh, etymology of the word Buddha conveys the, that very clearly, the awakened one. Gotama, the Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, he was, what, when he was a, what we call enlightened, it was he woke up. And I don't mean from, from or conventional sleep, but woke up in the present to, to see things as they are and not be caught in uh, just the momentum of his emotional habits or character tendencies. Because uh, as, we, as we, you know, like when we're 
children, young children, uh, before they they get highly conditioned and highly fixed into into uh, with emotional habits and and egos and so forth. They, you notice uh, children tend to have that kind of awakened quality. They're kind of looking and taking an interest, and and they they don't have a lot of memories. They haven't uh, acquired a lot of conditioning yet to to just uh, project onto life all their habits. So, but as we grow older, we lose that innocence, what we call innocence. We lose that. We become. Uh, uh, caught up in our own programs, in our own conditioning. And that, that is, means we're no longer awake. We're, we're merely like a computer. We're programmed when, when this happens and we react like this. When that happens, we act like that. And it's all very cultural. And, uh, you know, that's why we have problems with different ethnic groups or, Problem misunderstandings between male and female, and and different classes and races and all that, because the programs are with expectations, and and that are all quite can be quite different. Our assumptions, expectations, would vary, but it's, we're still all in modern uh, day language programmed by uh, the uh, attitudes, the cultural conditioning, the education the social values that we acquire, good and bad. Because when you're innocent, you take on both. You'll take on the bad as well as the good. So then the, the, the Buddha is, is encouraging this awakenedness. Wake up. In Asia, when I was in Cambodia, the... <laughs> Last November, uh, Cambodians were saying, uh, well, the Khmer Rouge taught us that Buddhism was an old the kind of sleepy time religion that kept Cambodia ignorant and poverty-stricken, <clears throat> and that all monks were parasites uh, and useless to the society. And uh, they were, they, this is the communist line, isn't it? The religion's the opiate of the people, and then then you can make a case for uh, oftentimes religious conventions do kind of sink into, into a perfunctoriness, a kind of establishment uh, behavior that, that just one goes along with a religious convention in a highly conditioned way. And that can happen to any religion, Buddhism, Christianity, or any of them. But when you really uh, look at, uh, when you really... Uh, contemplate what the Buddha was saying. He wasn't encouraging any kind of, of just have, uh, re uh, kind of uh, recondition yourself to become Buddhists or, or to become Theravadan Buddhists or to become monks or nuns or anything like that. The point isn't to to uh, just kind of acquire a new set of conditioning attitudes that we call Buddhism. Or monks or nuns, but it, it was the point that, that the Buddha was making was of the awaken, ability to wake up, to pay attention. Now, contemplating this in, in my own experience, as a, as a 
over many years as a monk. Uh, just the, the just how difficult that can be to really be fully awake, because it's so easy to sink back into one's habits, into one's wandering mind, to get just caught up in one's emotional habits, even very foolish or immature habits. It's, it's still very easy just to kind of float in it, to just sink and, and, and go along with the momentum of your conditioning. So it takes a kind of determination, an ongoing kind of relentless willingness to, to uh, look at this, to, to really remind yourself constantly to wake up. So like uh, taking the, the, the uh, Samana precepts, like with today with Sister Santajita. Now if she uses this convention in the right way, she uses it for what it's meant to be, then it, it will help her to remember who she really is. Uh, to, be, to wake up and not just be caught up into her emotional habits, her, her opinions and views, her prejudices, her fears and desires. Because we still are going to experience those. You know, they still arise, they still come up, but you, now your relationship to them is one who's a, a looking, aware, not just trying to resist and deny and suppress, nor just following them blindly, but recognizing, understanding all conditions are impermanent and not self, that all these emotions that we have that sound very much like they're me, you know, emotional habits are very convincing. They're always saying, me, me, what about me? Aren't they my, my emotions? They're always... What about me? <laughs> and uh, I want this, and I don't like that, and I'm not, I'm not going to put up any, with that anymore, and I've had enough, and I'm fed up, and blah, 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 blah. I like this one, and I don't like that one. Those are liking and disliking, loving, hating, uh, you know, praising and blaming and so forth. But then in an awakened moment, your relationship to that is, is an awareness of its impermanence. So the Buddha emphasizes a Nietzsche, or the changingness of conditioned phenomena, because that's, that is a characteristic that's common to all conditioned phenomena, whether it's good, bad, coarse, or refined. Whether it's highly personal, uh, terribly important, uh, urgent, necessary, no matter what the quality might be, or if it's just trivial, stupid and foolish, of no use and rubbish, whatever the quality is can vary uh, from, from, one, from one extreme to the other, but the common characteristic of all conditioned phenomena is impermanent, and then not-self, anatta. In other words, we're not our true nature isn't conditioned. We're not a person, a personality. We have no real nationality. We're not really male or female. We're not even Buddhists. That's just a expedient convention. 
So what are we then? And then we, it's not a matter of, of knowing what we are, but of recognizing what we are not. Because the awakened state of mind doesn't have a name. It has no name. It's pure awareness. It's pure attention. It's pure intelligence. It's not, not like in, in a, a dozy trance where, where you just shut everything out. But a pure intelligent awareness, which is now. And when we began to, to fully recognize that, then appreciate that, then that's our refuge. We, we, can, we, we develop skillful means or ways of, of continually reminding ourselves. Wake up. Here and now, be present. In the uh, monastic life, then, the, the, emphasis, the, the structures, monastic structures, the Vinaya, and the uh, conventions we use are not for institutionalizing us making us kind of dependent and, and uh, um, conditioning us to become a certain, you know, a certain uh, kind of uh, uh, institution, not institutionalized being. That can happen. One can use the conventions of Vinaya and, and religious tradition to just, you know, like just attach to them and, and become... Uh, emotionally dependent and, and uh, obsessed with those particular conditions. But that's not using the convention properly. Con- using it properly is using it in order to remember here and now, wake up. In terms of action and speech, to do good, refrain from doing bad. Because we we still have these human bodies. We still have a, a, a voice, a memory, retentive memory. And so how we use these, these bodies in our intelligence, in our talents, in the awakened state, is to uh, use them for what is good and to uh, determine not to use them for harming or or misleading, or deluding, or causing division, or, or trouble to ourselves or to others. Going forth, it's called what uh, Sister Santajita, uh, what the ceremony was called, Bhattacha, which means to go forth. And I always like that term because it's like go forth means to you keep going this attitude of just keep going don't look back because there is a strong tendency to, to go forth and well, you know lay life wasn't so bad after all and <laughs> and, and, and then somebody say well you, you don't have to become a nun to be enlightened you can do it it's, it's you know, get married, have a family, and, and be mindful in an ordinary way like rest people. So your mind thought, well, yes, you know, why, why go through all this? Then you start looking back, looking back rather than going forth. And so this, uh, so Bapa Chao is meant to me just keep, you know, 
sometimes one's tempted to kind of, uh, you know, long for remembering good times of one's previous, when one was a lay person. But, but uh, after a while you realize that's a waste of time to just keep going. Because the going forth implies a continue, you know, more and more continuous awakeness in the present. To where the awakened, attentive state of being is quite a natural one. It's not a, it's not a, a, an acquired state. It's not a conditioned state where you have, it's not, ref, uh, you know, refined in the sense that it's very dependent upon uh, certain conditions being pleasant, refined, uh, peaceful, and serene. The awakened state of mind is natural, always to the present moment, no matter what's happening, no matter how, what your state you're in physically, emotionally, or the things around you, what's happening, whether you're in a battlefield, or in a traffic jam, or in a, on a mountaintop, or in a monastery. None of these things are obstructions towards awakeness. Either your health or your emotional uh, habits or the external conditions. Admittedly, one prefers the serenity of, you know, like really nice here in Mavati, Hertfordshire. Uh, the, uh, everything is, uh, you know, quite, you know, to, the, to my mind and to my sensory experience, it's, you know, I'm very grateful, very, you know, quite happy to, to be here. But also, when, when I'm not here, sometimes one has to endure through rather difficult situations and uh, very chaotic scenes. And um, then... Uh, it uh, then, then, the, then the challenge is to be awake in the midst of it. Because the, the Buddha wasn't pointing to a state that was dependent on, on special conditions, on refinements. Because that's what, in his first six years after he left the palace, this was what he was aiming for, this kind of controlling the environment, you know, through uh, his ascetic practices, you know, staying away from the luxuries of the palace and the duties of the society and really just refusing to look at things or, or you know, really determining to, to uh, torture himself to get rid of any kind of sensual desires and and, uh, imp- and and trying to attain very refined uh, states of consciousness, which he was quite good at, according to the scriptures. The Buddha was was an expert. He, you know, just a few lessons, and he was he was uh, much better than his teachers. He was so gifted at these things that it didn't take very long for him to develop the jhanas and the arupa jhanas and the brahma viharas and the, all the rest to to where. Uh, this wasn't uh, uh, a great, uh, uh, difficult uh, thing for him. But even on, on the attainments of these very refined states of mind, 
something was still incomplete. You know? They're too dependent. You, they they go they disappear too easily when the conditions aren't there. You know you can get terribly terribly tranquil and and very blissful through sensory deprivation. Just get in one of these flotation tanks, you know. And after the initial restlessness kind of dies down, you're kind of floating in bliss, not because there's no kind of sensory impingement. Nothing's kind of attacking your senses and, and stimulating your mind. But, to, you know, to live one's life in a flotation tank <laughs> is, uh, you know, that, that would be, uh, you know, a kind of uh, experience that uh, most of us could never really manage. It's not not way any we could really live for very long. But we in but through mindfulness, then we can. We then we can. We whatever happens, we can adapt. We can learn. We can use wisdom with the successes, with the failures, with good health, with bad health. When we're being praised, when we're being blamed, whatever. Then they, these are not obstructions towards this, this realization of nibbana. So, the Buddha's emphasis on mindfulness has always fascinated me because uh, I've never seen an, any other religious convention emphasize that, <laughs> to, you know, put it in the most prominent position. And mindfulness isn't, isn't, uh, um, in, 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 say, in my cultural background, isn't a word that we really used. Even though we, we used mindfulness, we didn't, it wasn't really something that, I didn't really come across the word until I became Buddhist. And at first, when I started meditating, I didn't know the difference between mindfulness and concentration. You know, mindfulness meant you concentrate on something. And so I'd, I'd always, in efforts to be mindful, I'd start concentrating. Now I get concentrated on something and then I, then I do something would happen like you stub your toe or you, you break something. What do you mean mindful? But I wasn't. I was being concentrated. You know, your attention's all focused on one thing and you, and you're, you're not aware of the other things that are affecting you. So mindfulness is the ability, is like intuitive, intuition. It's an embracing quality. A state of awakened awareness that that embraces the moment. It's not fixed on one thing and absorbed into an object, but it it's free and wide and all embracing in the present. Well, this is what we call intuition, intuitive awareness, mindfulness. When you concentrate, then you then you focus on one thing as an object. And, and then you can absorb your attention into that one thing. And that's concentration. Kind of samadhi. But then in where the sati and samadhi come together is where 
that state of pure attention is concentrated in that wide spectrum of awareness. That is, then one is here and now, and it's a and it's a stable. It's a stable state of being. It's not a. It's not dependent on condition. So in meditation, we 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 are beginning to realize this natural state that we forget. It's not that we lose it. It's not that we ever lose anything. We forget it, and so we get caught up into the uh, what we like, don't like, and and all the worldly habits, conditions, uh, personal feelings, and this and then we forget. We forget it, so that this mindfulness is also remembering. I see now in, in uh, like the uh, the Thai uh, television crew. You know, I was interviewed this morning, and so they were asking me about Buddhism in Europe. What I thought, what I saw, uh, was going to happen in spread of Buddhism in in Europe, so, because. Uh, when we think of it in terms of spreading it, or, or, uh, or even like, uh, you know, trying to, to uh, just uh, bring Buddhist conventions into European uh, scene, I don't know. I don't know what you know how. The, I, I can't see how any one religion is going to to uh, kind of dominate anymore because I think the crisis of all religions religious conventions at this point in the evolution of the human human uh, condition is that uh, uh, that that the religious conventions do tend to separate and divide and so even in the Buddhist world, you know, these endless conflicts among different Buddhist groups. Somebody gave me the uh, magazine yesterday about the, this, uh, this uh, Dorje Shugden uh, cult here in Britain and, and the kind of anti-Dalai Lama uh, uh, feelings. This, I thought this had died out last year, but it seems to be reviving again. This, this conflict around uh, whether you have the right to worship uh, a deity or not. And this is within the Buddhist framework. And you have it in, in every religious group. The tendency is to is to uh, grasp a convention. And that very grasping causes division. 
And this the Buddha pointed out in his essential teaching. Uh, is ubadana uh, that is the problem is grasping conditions and so in uh, in my own experience i i can see you know that that the uh, you know just contemplating the effect of grasping this was what Paul Charles was very good at was was uh, encouraging us to contemplate uh, the result of grasping. Because he's always pointing to this upadana. And he mentioned this all in all his talks. He's talking about upadana or grasping, attachments to conditions. And, and so because of that emphasis, you know, and the Buddha in his uh, teaching of the Four Noble Truths, the second noble truth is the grasping of desire, is the, is the cause of suffering. The, it's not even desire that's the cause. Desire isn't the cause of suffering. It's grasping desire that's <laughs> This is very important to contemplate, you know, to recognize that even desire is what it is. We all are going to have desires. This is a desire realm, isn't it? A sense realm uh, that's, that has uh, beauty and ugliness and pleasure and pain. And so there's the desire for pleasure and happiness and that's quite natural to our state. And the desire to get rid of pain and ugliness is, is natural to this state we're in. And so it's, it's not like desire is a problem. It's the blind grasping of desire. So even in the conventional realm of, of uh, say, Theravada Buddhism, for, uh, forest, Thai forest monasticism and so forth, with all its, its goodness, yet the grasping of it, can we, we, we become divisive again. We cut our, we, we start, uh, we, once we start grasping, even, even our, uh, even Vinaya or or Theravada, or forest tradition, you'll find some level of anxiety, uh, of dis-ease within your mind because of the grasping, not because of the convention. So this awakened state of mind, it allows us to witness the, the result of grasping. So over the years, I really... Uh, zeroed in on this grasping to feel it not just to try not to grasp anything but to really know and and know the result know what it feels like know the feeling know the the state of grasping is like this and once you really see it realize grasping is like this then you the insight is to let go let go of the causes of suffering. We'll say the conditioned mind will maybe take a position like you shouldn't have desires and and you shouldn't you know you shouldn't grasp anything. And so you know, like people do come to me and say, um, you know, I knew Buddhists. You know, you you teach uh, that you shouldn't have any desires and you shouldn't grasp anything. 
I don't think I can be a Buddhist because I have, uh, you know, I love my children, love my wife or husband, and I've, and so I've got to, uh, you know, I can never really be a Buddhist because I'm too attached. I'm grasping these things too much. <laughs> but that's not it, is it? I'm not saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't love your children or wife or husband or anything, but it's grasping. And uh, so I point out, I said, if you really love your children, you won't grasp. <laughs> if you grasp, you hold on to your husband, wife, children, then it's not real love, is it? It's still, you know, me depending and holding and wanting and demanding and, and, and trying to possess. And that always leads to Suffering, the result of that kind of action, is, is the result will always be suffering. But this you have to see and, and feel and know for yourself. When you do, when you be, begin to experience the realization, realizing, this, this word also has... Uh, ha, has uh, a, a high impact, a great deal of meaning. The word realization, even though it's a common enough English word, and it's something I used quite, you know, in, in ordinary speech before I ever meditated. You know, you've got to realize things. Or you realize what you're saying, and it's a, you know, ordinary parlance. But but to re- to really realize. Realization is awaking, waking up to seeing things in, in, in the reality of the present moment for what it is, without projecting, <coughs> without grasping, without blinding yourself with your habits, with your emotions. So at first, when you when you start just acknowledging what you're feeling in the present is a beginning, is an awakened state where you, you, you're just ignoring, I feel like this right now. So that suddenly you're noticing that maybe emotionally you're feeling, not feeling very good, or you're feeling anxious or sad or something, and, and that you might have just dismissed with men, I notice we're men are very good at just overlooking their feelings. You know, just not. You know, I ask a lot of men what they're feeling right now; they wouldn't be able to answer. Because they, 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 we we don't like to feel very much. You think it's all kind of weak and and silly to feel. What I feel right now is of no importance. You know. I'm, so we can uh, we can kind of get on to do things in spite of how we're feeling, and because of that, then we 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 can you know oftentimes the kind of that drive that that kind of male uh, aggressiveness is you know has a kind of and a power that you get from it is very kind of exciting and appealing. But it also takes you to the experience of suffering. 
not, you can't kind of will yourself or, or just make yourself enlightened. Or you can't get it through, through just, you know, denying your feelings and, uh, and just, you know, trying to make yourself uh, get some, something you think is uh, Nibbāna. So in the uh, Buddhist teaching of the Satipatthana, Four Foundations of Mindfulness, is the uh, emphasis on, on mindfulness of feeling and of mood, state of mind, the mental state. And so to do that, you, there's an awakeness when you really start observing. And suddenly, instead of just trying to get rid of a bad mood and, and just just try to, uh, or deny it, and just distract yourself, you're suddenly looking at it. What, what am I feeling right now? And then just by asking yourself that, what am I feeling right now? Suddenly you, you notice that even in your own body, like in your heart or in your guts, you feel there's a certain sense of maybe sadness or anxiety or dis-ease. It can be quite subtle, not to mention, say, stronger emotions like anger or, or lust or, or uh, jealousy fear, which are quite strong. But a lot of, of our emotional life isn't, isn't that uh, strong, and it can easily be overlooked and ignored. So the awakened, when the Buddha says, wake up, that's one way of awakening, to just the, 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 the state of our, the natural state of of uh, this sensitive uh, experience now, and it's not judging it, isn't it? There's no, there's no value judgment. Whether even if you're feeling absolutely uh, horrible and hateful and nasty, awakening to that is one is 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 not is not judging it. It's recognized like this. As soon as you make a judgment about it, then, then you're no longer realizing it. You're merely, uh, you know, getting caught up in, in the habits of, I shouldn't have these feelings, it's bad, and, and uh, I don't want to feel this way, how can I get rid of it? And it's, you're back into the realm of controlling, denying, uh, suppressing. So in, in uh, terms of meditation, this, this sati, sampachanya, panya, these words convey this intuitive embracing awareness of the body itself, the way it is right now, physical body, which is not judging the body in any way. sensations or the posture or the, the heaviness of it or the heat or the coldness of the, that we're experiencing through the body in the present. Uh, having senses is like this, like sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Uh, the, the state of mind we're in is like this. 
which can be happy or sad or or elated or depressed or indifferent or doubtful, anxious, worried, unsure. Now this is interesting at this time in in Europe. There's a lot of interest in this kind of practice, which is to me a very good thing, because what why where we're falling apart uh, in Europe is is that we we've we've managed to use a, a, kind, a certain level of intelligence or intellect to, uh, to rationalize and to manipulate conditions uh, in kind of miraculous ways. So like modern technology cannot be denied. It's kind of like miraculous. The computer and all that. I mean, now they're just ordinary. You think of computers and the and that. They didn't think a hundred years ago if, if uh, you know, if somebody said, you know, I'd be flying around the world every year and and there'd be, you know, you're up in the sky and, and they're having, you know, everything is incredibly comfortable. British Airways. <laughs> and, you know, and you just kind of hop back and forth, Thailand, Indian, <laughs> just like that. Or, or computers, you know, to have, to be able to have, uh, just to communicate through just pressing buttons and everything kind of operating like magic. And yet, you know, we realize that just by continuing on that vein, what we're, we're, we're Creating more and more problems. We're not we're not solving problems as much as creating more kind of new problems. Because the conditioned realm is problematic. That's its very nature. And that conditions are basically unsatisfactory because they're always changing. You can't get any stability. Uh, and and real security through uh, the conditions, no matter what those conditions are. Their very nature is change, and that change isn't uh, changing from good to better to best, is it? It's not like it's going to get better and better, better and better, better and better, forever and ever. It goes and reaches a peak, and then it starts going down. It gets the best, and then it starts getting worse. Doesn't it? it Degenerate. What progresses, then it degenerates. That's the the natural cycle or condition phenomena. And because of that, we 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 get very uh, we you know we, the, in modern uh, materialism, we don't want to look at the other side. You know, we don't want to. Don't tell me about old age, sickness, and death. Don't point it out. And uh, just talk about, you know, life is going to progress, development. Uh, we're going to uh, find uh, drugs that will cure all sicknesses and prolong youth and, 
and uh, good health forever and ever and ever and ever is like you know is just the uh, uh, is lacking in wisdom because life isn't like that. That's not the way things are. They can't be like that. It's impossible. So you contemplate the impermanence of conditions, and the Buddha did emphasize old age, sickness, and death because that's the very side of experience that tends to be ignored and rejected. And then the the uh, remarkable thing is that through that kind of awakened awareness around old age, sickness, and death, or the or or boredom, pain, uh, despair, failure, and all the, these kind of these kind of experiences. When we open to these experiences, then the result isn't depression. Uh, increasing misery but uh, understanding and realization of Dhamma. Because then we're, we're transcending the conditioned realm. And we talk about transcending doesn't mean kind of turning our back on the world uh, and, and refusing to, to have anything more to do with conditioned phenomena. Transcending means really relating to conditioned phenomena through wisdom, through mindfulness and wisdom. Because this is what we have until we die. We have to bear with the condition of a human body. You know, and it does, it gets old. It gets all the, the problems that come with age and then death disease, and so forth. But now, our relationship to it isn't one of vanity and, and, uh, and attachment, but one of understanding, of wisdom and mindfulness. So, the aging process and the, the things we have to experience till we die are then Dhamma for us. It's all the path, the way, the path of enlightenment, it's all seeing it in the right way through the awakened, natural state of awakeness. And I want to emphasize again that awakeness is, is a natural state. It's not, it's not conditioned. It's not, it's not something that you, uh, that is refined, that depends upon uh, very refined uh, conditions supporting it. So I was telling the when I came back from India recently, the the uh, I spent a month and and most of it in the tea garden in a tea garden in Darjeeling, and. Uh, there it was very, you know, the conditions were, were extremely pleasant. The weather was, was uh, in Darjeeling, is very pleasant at this time of the year. Where uh, down on the plains, it's, uh, it's like a furnace. When Delhi, it's like, like an oven. But in the mountains, Himalayas, it's all quite, 
just perfect, you know, like today almost, like just uh, neither hot nor cold. And then uh, the uh, the people uh, that invited me were very considerate. Uh, gave me, you know, really nice place to live in, very good food, and no responsibilities. Just uh, day after day, just um, practicing meditation with no kind of just real distractions or anything like that. So, well, through that kind of practice, of course, you you, you know you you're, uh, you you get very tranquil. Experience a lot of tranquility. But I've been through all that before, and I and I know how to get very tranquil. But I know how quickly it goes once you you get back into the into the the real world. Tranquility is of no value because it, you know all you can do is just feel uh, uh, annoyed and irritated by things that might not have even irritated you before until you became tranquil. So, <laughs> so I determined not to attach to this tranquility, but to ju- to keep just uh, this awareness, this state of of. Uh, of a kind of stable listening and attention in the present. Then, at the end of the time, I was invited to the city of Siliguri, which is uh, in West Bengal, it's quite a big city uh, that is uh, borders on the Himalayas. And there are Buddhist, uh, several Buddhist monasteries there, Theravadan, and those monks, wanted me to come and visit their centers. So I went. Well, this was, a, I didn't realize when I accepted the invitation that for them this was a really big deal to have me visit, you see. I just thought I'd go and say, oh, yes, and kind of just, you know, drop in. But instead they set up what they call felicitation ceremonies. So I found myself after the three weeks of tranquility, suddenly in this hot city, uh, in these Buddhist centers where there are crowds of people just waiting for me, they're throwing flower petals at me. <laughs> and then, then I, and then uh, they had, then they, they were, they had uh, felicitation ceremonies where they, they give you some kind of a plaque or trophy of some sort, and and a lot of speeches that go on and on and on. So, so and and the, most of these speeches were in Bengali, which I can't understand. So, so I was sitting there, and in uh, uh, after coming out of the Tigon into this Buddhist center in Siliga, suddenly, you know, it started raining, and 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 when it rains there, it's like Niagara Falls, all this kind of water pouring down on a tin roof. And then electricity went out. And and then there was one speech after another. It went on for hours and hours and hours and hours. And uh, and this used to, this kind of thing used to create in me a, a lot of aversion. But due to the practice, I kept... 
I kept my mind, and I wouldn't let any kind of negative state get a foothold in my mind, rather than just, I didn't, you know, just grin and bear it and just kind of hope, hope it'll end soon, is one way of doing it. But instead of even doing that, just not letting, through this awareness, not letting a negative emotion get hold of my conscious experience. So through all this, this kind of incredible stimulation and, uh, and kind of, uh, tediousness and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and people just endlessly talking and, and noise and, and kind of confusion, uh, that, that was around me, I, I, I didn't, uh, allow negative feelings to arise. And because of that, then I began to pick up on the goodness that was there, of the, of the, these people, how good they are, and you know, their intentions, uh, their, what they, their kind of generosity, and, uh, and, and, and began to really appreciate the goodness of the people, uh, that I was, uh, that were surrounding me, and the other Buddhist monks that were there, the, Indian uh, Buddhist monks. So that that's an example, just of say using this mindfulness, say developing a sense for it in within maybe an ideal situation like the tea garden was. I'd say an ideal. You know, very nice, everything you like, everything you want, nothing you don't like really. There weren't even any mosquitoes or anything like that. It was perfect place. And they had servants. I had servants. Three servants. I'm kind of changing my bed sheets every day. Making my bed up at night. Changing my bath towel every day. I've never been treated like that in my life. <laughs> so everything was just, you know, perfect there. But not, but then if, if one grasped that, isn't it? Then, then one would have only been critical, negative toward the Buddhist center in Siliguri, where everything seems out of control, and, and you don't know what's happening, and, and, uh, and you always have to sit for hours listening to language you can't understand at all, and, and then there's torrential downpours, and, the heat, and then the electric fans go off, you know, and then the kind of incredible heat and damp, and one could just easily, uh, you know, get very, very negative. This is where, when realizing that that stillness within, uh, which opens your heart up to where uh, it's not important. Uh, physical comfort and uh, and convenience and all the rest are no longer the things that you're you're giving importance to in your life, but toward re- picking up on the on what's really there. Because in those in that Buddhist center in Siliguri, what was there? Well, everybody was there because of some goodness in them. Nobody was there to take advantage of me or. I mean, you know, for, for all I know, they're all there 
because of their faith, love of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, respect for the Sangha, uh, opportunity to to pay respect to a to a foreign monk, uh, opportunity to offer food and uh, do and perform good and wholesome action. So then the the mind in that empty state then is is tuned in to that to the goodness uh, of the uh, of conscious beings in that state of pure awareness too you can't you can't have a bad thought to think to get caught up in bad thinking again you have to start grasping your thoughts in that state of pure attention what comes out of that is, uh, is, is love. Love is, a, is, a, is the kind of dynamic relationship from that pure state of awareness. So then that, that love is, is, uh, then picks up on that quality in the people and beings around you. And it's more like it's an intuition rather than a, something you can measure uh, with, with, and have statistics. So this gives you, uh, gave me really a tremendous, uh, you know, through the years of practicing, contemplating, reflecting, and learning from practicing the Buddhist teachings, then you, you feel a, a kind of marvelous, it's a marvelous opportunity for us to, to and you can see the way of, of human evolution in, in a good way, is that, this, uh, that we're not, that we have this potential, that that our true nature is really very good, and that that our and and that the, even our badness is a sup, is a surface, is a conditioning. It's not a tr- it's not what it's not our nature. And so, when you uh, point this out to to you know, we need to. Awaken humanity to this, to this, because it's been forgotten, because the emphasis of modern life is is on the not pleasant, the unpleasant side of, of human of our human state, the consumer. <laughs> I always think of a consumer as one big mouth that's wide open, ready to kind of. You know, like these big hamburgers they have in the United States. You know, just the mouth wide open, ready to chomp into this huge hamburger. <laughs> the, the kind of symbol of the consumer. And the <laughs> one big mouth and just you need to keep shoving things into it. Uh, <laughs> and that that's... I mean, we certainly can be just greedy, uh, sensually obsessed, and, and selfish creatures. But we also have another option. And, and I think this other option has, has been dismissed by many and uh, forgotten. I know in my own uh, life, I was, even though I came from a very good family, uh, the basic attitude of my 
cultural background was that of being uh, kind of corrupted in some way of being a sinner or some, some kind of basically my nature has been corrupted and this, this emphasis this was an emphasis say from my my cultural conditioning uh, where with, with the religion like Buddhism and see the, uh, the attitude isn't that is it it's, it's pointing to that basically our true nature is good and, and but we forget it so we forget it then we, we then we can do bad things not because our true nature is bad but because we've forgotten so then there's the, the teaching of the Buddha is to keep remembering and not to, it's not an ego thing, we're not trying to, I'm not trying to convince myself that I'm good. That's not it, because I'm not, that, that doesn't work, just to kind of convince yourself that you are good, but to recognize what goodness really is. You know, to, to really, uh, respect yourself and trust in your own good intentions and good inclinations and it's not not to inflate you and say that you're good as a as an attachment but because you recognize you realize your true nature so that's that's a realization that's not a a a, a uh, kind of inflating uh, uh, yourself with positive thinking The realization then is is awakening to the reality of the way things are. So I offer this as a as a reflection uh, for you today. Tomorrow is the Visakha Puja day, uh, and this is a rare Visakha Puja because it is. On a Sunday, very seldom is the real Visakha Puja on a Sunday, the full moon of May. Usually we have Visakha celebrations on Sunday, but the real day has been on Monday or Tuesday or something like that. This is the time, so tomorrow is Sunday, Visakha Puja, and we had the ordination papacha of Sister Santajita today. And the weather uh, is very good, couldn't be better. Uh, and we have this temple now to, to meditate in, and the uh, conditions around are very uh, pleasant. And uh, I'm sure we could make ourselves miserable about something if we're determined. <laughs> <laughs> But also to to uh, to recognize uh, that that uh, I mean, like I've noticed with Western monks and nuns, especially especially Western European and American, is that we we tend to be more kind of very much aware of what's wrong with something, or with ourselves, or with other, each other, and there's a, a kind of an obsession 
uh, uh, kind of fixation about what's wrong. And it always seems, you know, we've got to do something, you know, about this because it's wrong, we've got to make it right. And no matter how many meetings and and that you have in order to solve problems and and try to iron out difficulties, it just doesn't, there's just no end to it. You know, it just seems to get worse and worse. And so maybe that's not so important. Maybe, you know, what's wrong isn't, isn't so important. Uh, maybe, you know, that, that isn't what we need to obsess our uh, attention with, but to begin to uh, enjoy, rejoice in what is really good and to appreciate what is really good with ourselves in each other in the place we're living in the country we're living in and that and, 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 and that doesn't mean to deny or refuse to look at what's wrong because it's not it's not pretending but it's also an honest recognition of the way things are and from my own insights over the years, I see the true nature of, of human, of the human being is, is good. And, and, uh, and we all, in our own way, uh, long for that and to, to, and uh, want to be that. But there's so many delusions, so much pressure from a society, and not just this one, but everywhere, to to keep pulling us into um, inadequate attitudes about ourselves and the and the humanity in general, all the prejudices of race and culture and class and gender and all that. Uh, just you know, there, there's so much of that given, so much attention, so much uh, importance. But when you really look at it, those, those aren't important. Those aren't, that isn't the way it really is. When you begin to recognize the, the goodness of humanity, then all human beings are of equal importance, aren't they? It's not that, that there's any race or any group that, that's somehow better than any other. You know, it's not that way. That this basic goodness is transcending the, the racial conditioning or the cultural conditioning. It's universal. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's something that, that, we, uh, that isn't personal. It isn't mine. But something that I can w- awaken to and, and we all can awaken to if we're Encouraged, if we're given that kind of encouragement. So that's one of the things we're trying to do here at Amavati is to use this uh, place here to uh, encourage that kind of awakeness. So I offer this as a reflection.